0: and you're listening to the laugh of your life the podcast where i talk to influential people about laughter from their first memories of laughter to feeling laughed at to if laughter wasn't the best medicine what would be
1: champagne uh, beautiful platters of italian things mortadella buffalo burrata uh, you know nice nice things capocol, beautiful you know. italian things preferably in italy
0: impressionist and broadcaster oliver callan is my guest this week He talks to me about practising his impressions in the milking parlour as a child, the watershed moment of coming out age 31, and taking baths of champagne. From big laughs to big wins, this season of the Laughs of Your Life podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. If you're planning on getting the Christmas shopping out of the way early, Good on you. At TK Maxx, you'll find big brand finds from homeware to beauty to toys and so much more with something for absolutely everyone on your Christmas list, all under one roof. And while you're there, why not pick up a gift for yourself too? Hashtag treat yourself and all that jazz. I am absolutely guilty of doing this in the past, buying gifts for people either that I benefit from as well Or that I know they're probably going to share with me. Whether it's an afternoon tea voucher. Or a yoga mat for my sister Alva when we live together. Or just jackets that I know I'm going to grab off my mom whenever I need them. We all do it. Come on. There's no shame in our game. It's that time of year where we give and we can also receive too. As in like give to ourselves and receive from ourselves as well. I don't know if that makes any sense. But you get what I mean. Hashtag treat yourself. Get that yes feeling when you find the perfect gift without breaking the bank. At TK Maxx this Christmas and now for my chats with Oliver Callan. I hope you enjoy. Oliver Callan, you are extremely welcome to the last of your life.
1: Every time I hear you say that I'm almost uh, expecting you to say the last uh, episode of something I go what? I wasn't warned about this. (laughs) The last, yes. Not the last anything. Wait am I dead? Is this my obituary? (laughs)
0: There is a bit of a vibe of that to it, like, because it's of your life, it's like, oh my God, am I, hang on, is my career over? Did no one tell me?
1: I know what you've done now. You see, you've picked all of us because you're going, yeah, they're not looking great. <laughs> probably going to, this is probably a really, you know, even if the first time it doesn't go well, we can bring it back when they're dead and go look at the things they used to enjoy. And it's all very nice and circumspect. And it's like so tragic, but look, they had some laughs. I, I was so meaningful to what they spoke about here. Oh, you've, all, oh, you've got it all worked out.
0: The main, the main thing that my mom rings me and says to me about the podcast is, she'll ring and say, and she'll have thought of someone, right? We'll just say their name is George. She'll be like, come here, would you get George in the podcast before he pops his clogs? <laughs> it's usually old people that she's like, oh, they'd be great. So, Oliver, okay. I, I won't confirm or deny if she, if she made that call about you.
1: Okay, your mom is basically in the podcast version of (laughs) RIP.ie.
0: Where in the world are you with this lovely mic, Oliver?
1: I'm in my studio and it's kind of, it's a new studio, which has been very stressful to get into. And we're a couple of eight episodes into Callum's Kicks, but I had to change studio. I had to change horses midstream. So it was all very stressful and it was kind of building site. So today is actually the first day I've been in where it's kind of finished. And there isn't like a gale blowing in through the window that wasn't finished and stuff so yeah love uh,
0: it i'm delighted that i'm part of the the start of this beautiful journey yeah, it, for your new studio is the
1: first first uh, video thing i've done in here since so you know so uh, although you started with the last something you know this is really the beginning of something new
0: beautiful <laughs> we tell
1: ourselves in middle age all the time this is <laughs> this is the start oh god that's broken <laughs>
0: Okay, are you ready to answer our okay. questions, Oliver?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, but you know, you know why everyone tries to break the, everyone's <laughs> tried to break the format, and I always think, oh, this person's, oh, they're going to do it. I mean, I thought James Kavanaugh would break the format.
0: No. But you wouldn't
1: be going to let him.
0: No, it's not allowed.
1: That was it. Do you
0: think the that BBC was... would let people break the Desert Island Discs format? No.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's barely a format anymore, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, they, they kind of forget. They go, oh. Crap, what album was the thing you wanted to do again? You just wipe your tears up, will you? Just shut up and just tell us the album. <laughs> You've got very specific rigidity. Okay, well,
0: we're going to start with the first okay. one. Let's stop do
1: Stop announcing that you've ripped off Desert Island Discs.
0: <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I keep doing that actually, I need to stop.
1: There's a lawyer going, yep, there we go, number 27. <laughs> We've got ourselves a case which gets 29 references.
0: And then when I'm in court, I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. I've
1: never heard that show. <laughs> you can't get it over here.
0: Oh, okay, Oliver Callum, your yeah. first memory of laughter.
1: Okay, um, I was thinking about this. And um, uh, so uh, what I can remember is being very young. You don't know, you never know what age. So we just, we say four or five for argument's sake, because I remember being I was the third in the family. So I was kind of the youngest uh, until I was 11. So basically, I got the benefit of being the youngest. And then I became a middle child when I was 11. Tricky time. tricky not, time. Not easy. Sister's born, ruins everything. Uh, But anyway, so my brother was always in trouble and there was always a bit of tension in the house. So I was kind of the person to diffuse the tension. I discovered the power of laughter and and about impressions and impersonations. And it's a bit crude, but I remember we had these like metal dessert bowls, which were all in the country house back in the day. So I just literally plumped them on my chest and marched up and down the kitchen. Kind of four-year-old drag, basically. (laughs) And my mother was like, hang on here. I'm trying to tell someone off. I'm trying to set up. And, and also we had a neighbour who laughed in my 4 year old head. L- l- his laugh sounded like a dog hissing against a wall. Basically. So it was like a... S- 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 this kind of hissing laugh. S- 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 so I would do this laugh to them uh, and it would diffuse all, all the tension and everything like that. And I realised... Because your parents are like the first government... You confront, you know, you're there, like the first authority, and like they're like every government, they're you know, fiscally irresponsible. You know, they 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 meddle in your lives. They tell you what to eat, what to wear, when to come home, how long to be out. All that. you know, it's it's like a government in lockdown all the time. And uh, you look at the size of your parents are because some other old people have decided that for you and thrust it on your young lives. you know what I mean? Actually, more I think of this analogy, better, and they do, they're totally out of touch with their constituents, and uh, yeah. That's a- the, so laughing was the way to kind of bring them down. That is the that is the revolution. And because I, I, I would just kind of mimic the old man speak, which was quite common in Monaghan growing up in the 80s and the very specific, we, you, you'd kind of be sent to the shop on your own as you were in those. You were allowed to go everywhere on your own. And it'd be just some old one-eyed man smoking 14 cigarettes at the same time and go, you, who are you? And, uh, you know, the only way you could break it down is like, naming parents and grandparents until eventually they go, oh, I, I know you, I went to school with your grandfather. Oh, I, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's named Gasson, was, was the way you'd be addressed.
0: So what was that like to go from baby to middle child?
1: Funny you say that because I remember my mother sitting me down to tell me there was another baby on the way, kind of doing her twiddly thumbs, you know, mammy thing with, you know, snot rag up the sleeve type of thing going, oh, there's going to be another... Another little, you might be getting a little sister or brother. And I was going, amazing, fantastic. And you could almost see her, you know, clutching her pearls. And so, it was, is it okay? And then kind of checking in me every few weeks going, Are you sure that's going to be okay? Yeah. So I was kind of, I was delighted. I'd only noticed it later, you know, when the crushing disappointment that comes with adult independence. Did you realise, oh, yeah, I had all those youngest uh, child benefits that were just all swept away. So... Um, I, I, I enjoyed it at the time. But it's weird because when you're 11 and, you know, it's a big farming family. So everyone kind of, kind of live on top of each other. And we didn't have the well, the other kids in school, didn't see their parents all day or all summer long because they had to go to jobs, come back in the evening. There's no escaping from the farm or for the parents. So, like, I kind of almost became like uh, uh, sort of a, like I almost had to become a sort of a dad, weirdly, in my teen because I knew how to change nappies, 11 and 12. Uh, I had to mind my sister like loads to cook for her, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I even remember helping her with homework and stuff like that. Because when you're kind of the youngest one, you were left with all the chores because as your brother and your sister got older and got part-time jobs because they knew you had to escape the farm, I was kind of left with all the chores they had. So, yeah, I'm still bitter about it, to be honest.
0: (laughs) I mean, I I kind of gathered (laughs) that.
1: Yeah, I mean, like all the stuff I do now, the only thing I want credit for is all the work I did on the farm when I was mid-teens, do you know? Because they all go, ah, yeah, Oliver was the lazy one. Because yeah, I used to stay up late and read books, do you know? Because, you know, I was the learned one. But uh, I did get up eventually, and I did a lot of chores in the summers. Where, Sister and brother, if you're listening, you bastards, when you left me, I had to do all your chores. That's all I want in life, is credit for that. I need, to l-
0: I need to let the listeners know that you're you're physically shaking your finger <laughs> <laughs> at the Zoom screen. Okay, the first time you felt laughed at, Oliver Callan.
1: Well, I've loads of these, <laughs> <Come on. laughs> and because we're country uh, people growing up in the in in the eighties, I'm forty now, so you know it's the eighties is my is my memory period, late eighties in particular. So like we were kind of you know, Huckleberry Finn meets the kids from a series of unfortunate events because we're outdoors we think we're great, but there was always mishaps all the time. And we had like a river beside the house and uh, we were very much alone for for huge stretches of the day in the summer. And we had like a wooden pallet that we tied, because my brother was kind of like an inventor, maker kind of person. I wasn't, I was just there for the fun bit. So he he was the one who who made... uh, you know, tree houses and swings off trees and stuff. Terribly dangerous things. Uh, but when the, fir- the river would swell up, we'd get the pallet and tie all these kind of plastic uh, drums, pl- you know, plastic uh, buckety things that would be, would be uh, basically held together with baling twine. I would, of course, go up and down on this. It had no control whatsoever because it was just totally imbalanced. And I, not being terribly uh, skillful, agile, uh, it was a plump little child, okay, would invariably fall off into the river the whole time. Uh, and it it was really muddy and stuff and the worst thing is having to go to the mammy where she's, you know, she's put you in clean clothes for the day there you are soaked so, you know, they were obviously always enjoying this. And I would go to desperate lengths, I would go running around the field to try and dry off, you know, try to scrub (laughs) off some of the silt that's now hanging from, you know, wet jeans which wouldn't dry out even if you threw them into the Icelandic volcano. Just wet jeans will never dry and particularly not in Ireland even if it's a, a searing, a searing 18 degrees as it gets in the summer it just it was just you know they were just constantly falling I mean uh, if, do you know a cattle feeder the big round thing looks like a giant hamster yes. wheel if you go outside. yeah we used to just get into those and run wheel them across the field and then jump out but of course I would I famously once tripped um, on the way out and the thing went over my head but thankfully the field was probably wet enough for my head to gonna go into the mud mostly and not have the metal bar crush my skull oh my god yeah this was hilarious though when uh, you're my brother who's four years older than me and i was even mentioning it not long ago and was saying yeah I, I, the thing i remember most is that evening my mother made like homemade cookies but i couldn't eat them because my jaw was slightly um you know slightly <laughs> <kind of> bruised <laughs> broken there was no do- you don't go to a doctor on this no like you'd have to have quasi-decapitation for <laughs> to go to a doctor in the 80s
0: were you um, a class clown or were you quiet what were you like in school
1: no I was the really quiet person and you might get this as well because you have to observe don't you to pick up voices and things so if you're there going I'm the funniest one you're not going to notice anything so you're kind of like hmm let's see oh I didn't notice that the way they mm, the way they clasp their lips so no I actually did all my practice Um bringing the cows to and from, we used to bring them, call it bringing them home or you know, bringing them for milk in, you know. You had to walk them from the field, which was like an hour away because they were so slow at walking. But it was you're in country, uh, quiet country lanes where there's no houses or anything. So I used to do all my impressions to to the cows or to the hedges, you know, because no one could hear you. So, you, you know, you, no one wants to sing or you, you, it's almost like being recorded hearing your own voice. You, just, you, could, you could test out the particularly noisy impressions because, like, I'm a teenager in mid-90s, so... I'm kind of doing my A Few Good Men. You want, you know, did, you, did Santiago, you cursed the Marines, or, you know, what am I, I'm forgetting all the lines to A Few Good Men, which I used to do. <laughs> I, like, I want the truth, you know. <laughs> you know, the Tom Hanks go, whoa, yeah, huh, Santiago. You were, uh, did you order the code, red? And Jack Nicholson's son, son, we have walls in this country. This place needs to be guarded by people with guns. You have no idea. You have no idea. You could not possibly fathom the responsibility that I hold. So you could do all the screaming, and uh, the Tom Hanks, you are a toy, which is a particularly loud one uh, out in the countryside. <laughs> and uh, Ian Paisley, of course, which was quite du jour in the, in the 90s, which he would just kind of oh, from a slow thing. I love the people of Ulster, but I am frightened of vaginas. And more than once, while I'm doing this kind of loud impressions, you think you're not being watched, and then I notice a few times over the hedge. There's the neighbour who is just checking on his cattle, just kind of looking over. And uh, you try, like, even though it's impossible, you try to cover it somehow by, by doing loud coughing, as so you know to explain the sound. <laughs> or going, "Come on now, Betsy, come on!" Like you'd be kind of hitting the cows to cry. Oh, you know, you stepped in that hole, you fiendish animal. Oh hello, Austin. Hello. Yeah, no, just just doing some incredibly loud, dramatic coughing noises in a northern accent. <laughs> you can't handle the truth, no, John Joe. Hello. <laughs> oh my I'm gosh. My fake like tenor me. singing, which was you couldn't explain. I, I used to just kind of do the the fake tenor singing. You know. <laughs> Oh, will you scratch my ass for a tenor, my love? For a tenor, will you scratch my ass? <laughs> there were the type of things you could do. I miss the country lanes. It's very hard to do the loud. Hang
0: on. so were you just this tapped child who did it down the country lanes, or did you actually channel it and do some performing when you were younger?
1: No, there was no <laughs> there was no to perform except for the country lane. But the acoustics in the milking shed were particularly good. So I mean does that count? <laughs>
0: No, Oliver, we've got to stick to the format.
1: Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. My favourite album then was uh, Oasis. What's <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, no. Different show.
0: Okay. The moment <laughs> when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry, Oliver
1: Cullen. Well, we had this uh, grand aunt or great aunt, if you prefer, uh, and she lived down a very long cul-de-sac. We had to go there because, you know, it was the... It was the duty of the family because she'd nobody left to belong to her. Uh, My father was an only child who was her only kind of, uh, would she have been a nephew? Only nephew, yes, of course. So we had to visit her, and she was like kind of the woman in black, you know. Well, the woman in black was dead, so this one wasn't. She was just in her 90s or whatever. So she's in this dilapidated, huge house, you know, with with the gardens overgrown and the trees are like scratching against the window. So we would always be sending, go on in now. She loves to see you. Go on in. That's My mother is from Cork. In my defense, it's just not kind of an every mammy voice. But that's what they all sound like eventually. (laughs) You look back and you go, she was only 30 at the time. Why did she sound. Anyway. Uh, but, uh, so, you don't want to call them batty old ladies because she probably did actually suffer from dementia. So, yeah, okay. She was a batty old lady in a, in a storybook. But we would just go in and, you know, you had to be extra polite to the elderly people. We still do. We still do. That rule hasn't changed. Do you know what I used to? Now you can just go in and tell them to fuck off. No, you we'd be <laughs> polite. But she would always, you know, she would give you tea with, you know, a cup filled with cornflakes or something or just the dirtiest mug and, and myself myself and my sister once we just spotted each other do you know that was it then
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah the, the, the great Dublin phrase you just break your shite laughing you know it, just, <laughs> yeah. it would be endless and then you might make an excuse like I need to go to use the toilet and you go into it because you wanted to get do all your laughing. I mean, but it would never work would it you would just you would just go oh nothing's funny now and you come back out again and it's like <laughs> and then you'd have to pretend you're blowing your nose <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> And the poor old devil, and there was like lots of mice in the house, you know. So there was endless yeah. moments where you're just you were just dying to laugh, but you you could you just couldn't. The poor bits for it. And then of course she ended up in a in a nursing home, which was like if anyone's seen American Horror Story: The Asylum season, you know, like a nineteen eighties early nineties nurse was very grim. And for for children, it was a terrifying place, and it was a place where they where they put people who were you know disabled. Some of them people in Zimmer frames. Some people in in kind of like um, handmade wheelchairs. I mean it was a riff so you just like you'd have to be nice to him and go, hello, hello, there again, and going, and you just want the only way you could release the tension from the horror of the place was to just laugh. Um, and <laughs> because there was always someone shouting there was always some owl lad shouting the word bastard just randomly all the time. And it's supposed to be a lovely Sunday afternoon. Everyone's coming in uh, <laughs> you know, in the era where women sort of wore doilies on their shoulders, <laughs> kind of do- doilies shoulder pad thing. Bastards you just hear the background and you're like, everyone is just pretending they didn't hear it. Oh, there's Ted. There's Teddy. Again. Oh, God, love him. Cig- ah, that's oh, great, great voice. Great fucking lungs in them. It's so just like, there was even a pub in the nursing home. I don't think that exists now. There was a pub in nursing home where we what? could get those. Yeah, you could get the candy cigarettes. That's what we used to get them in there.
0: Children,
1: oh, yeah. there. Children, because children, you, see, you could see your way through the smoke because the smoke is kind of higher up. So you could kind of wade through it. <laughs> I don't need little candy cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> this what's no, fellas. And you're going, I can't wait till I grow up, till I can, you know, hawk my chest like him.
0: <laughs> okay, Oliver Cullen, you're no laughing matter moment. No, we're
1: going to break the format. No, no.
0: <laughs> we're not breaking the format, Oliver. Why do you want to do this? <laughs> oh, gosh.
1: Okay. No Hang on. I'm you're out.
0: making me paranoid about the format. Do you not like the format?
1: I- no, everyone loves the format, but you just expect it to be broken at some point. i going to freak out. I had such high hopes for James Cavanaugh. Anyway, he did try hard at first. He <laughs> even logged out twice just to see. <laughs> <what happened. laughs> just to fuck shit up. And I love how Melta May didn't, just didn't even bother pretending that she knew the format at all. She's just going, what? What are we doing now?
0: <laughs> and she was on she was on a phone. She didn't have a laptop. So I was like, oh my God, the internet's going to go. But it actually no. was fine.
1: We didn't notice that. See, stop saying these things. Stop, <laughs> <laughs> stop revealing, stop revealing all these secrets. Uh, okay, what is next on the format? you you no,
0: form- no laughing matter moment in life, Oliver.
1: Oh God, yeah, God, you love this one. Uh, well, you know, uh, yeah. Well, I think no matter how bad it gets, you have to find something funny about these terrible times in your lives. Although you probably only get to laugh about it afterwards, truly, don't you? And, uh, and friends, the world has probably lost, you know, dare I say, lost its sense of humor in some places. But anyway, uh, even self-deprecation, I think, is out of fashion, isn't it? Yes. It's like, no, you're not supposed to make fun of yourself. What? But that's the only bit of content I've left. <laughs> <No> <laughs> what? But can I just, I mean, I'm like, I'm now a victim of my own sense of self-cruel comedy. Yes, that mean? is so, that is so accurate self I mean, like that stand-up kind of dead for, for some time. Anyway, um, oh God. Well, I have a like God. I have a really good five to six-year blank in my life, which is you know quite important. The word like twenty-six, I think twenty-six to thirty-one were like wretched years where, you know, there was coercive control. I had no control over my own life, financial, career, nothing. It's kind of amazing. I kind of came through it at all. And but I emerged out, the, out of the other side of it 2012, totally broke, but probably the happiest year of all time when you're kind of free of toxic people and. All that shite. Do you know, it's like, it's a bucket in my head. It's just a bucket of shite. Oh, so, like, it was like, the literally the safest way of just, is there, there was toxic people. Because I've tried to do this interview because journalists have tried to mine it out of me. And in fairness, Rosita Boland did it quite well. Was it last year? Yes. And I was going, you can't do this because we all get sued and there'll be defamation suits. But, but also like, it was a terrible time. I was like, I had no control over my own life, basically, you know, so coercive control is the term they use now. And uh, it, it's kind of mortifying because you're being, you know, professionally, people are hearing stuff about you, but you, you can't go and say, oh, that wasn't me that, you know, and you're reading stuff in the paper about yourself going, oh, I'm not doing, like, I was doing Knob Nation on the Jerry Ryan show for a couple of years. And then Jerry sadly died. And then there was kind of a floating period. And then Ryan Turberty took over the slot. And I was kind of doing Knob Nation on Ryan Turbottie's show. And I literally found out on, from a newspaper that I had apparently left the show because I just had no control over anything. That it was all over and it was, you know, I think people in RT were probably quite obsessed at the time. But it's almost like I, it's almost like I had to get out of rehab. And you know that, that step, that, that one of the 12 steps where people go and apologise for all the stuff that went on. I actually literally wrote letters to people and said, you know that period, five six years, I was just like, I I was like bullied within an inch of my life. I was a shell of a person. None of that was me. And they all go, yeah, we all knew. Yeah, we all knew. Just just, weren't allowed to be you. So that was kind of, um, yeah, a terrible year. And actually coming out at the tender age of, was I? I was definitely 30. I was 30, almost 31. Uh, Yeah, I was. And um, uh, coming out was like, it gave, gave me all the power all of a sudden because it was suddenly like, oh right, nobody really cared in the end. Great, now I can just get on with life. And it was kind of the um, watershed moment and suddenly but surely I um, untangled my life from the weeds and emerged and I met John, uh, my partner in, tw- in 2012 as well. So um, yeah, it was great. So we're nine years together now and it was, it, was, it was great.
0: Oh my God. I hadn't realized you were 31 when you came out, which is I suppose <laughs> typically quite late.
1: It's really late, but I, I felt I had, to, and I did it on live television, like what the fuck was I thinking?
0: Well, if, look, if you're oh, going to do, do it, do it stunningly.
1: I know, but, but you know, you're 31, so you're kind of assuming, people will surely, they surely know by now. But they kind of weren't guessing and go, ah, your man just is a bit, he's a bit, you know, he's a bit, he's a bit just different. So, but he doesn't seem to be very gay, he doesn't seem to be gay, does he? So, um basically, you know, all the purple jumpers in the world just wouldn't do it. So I decided... And I assumed when I would tell people, they'd go, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're 31, you've never had a girlfriend. No one has ever discussed romantic relationships with you. But it was like, wow, really? Didn't see that coming. And, uh, yeah. But even though you do it on live television, you still kind of come out a little bit for the rest of your life anyway, because people invariably just ask questions.
0: And how... How were your family at that time?
1: Yeah I mean it was it was difficult but it was all difficult in a very short squeezed period it was literally like hi I'm gay I'm going on television in a few days to tell everyone so what and what and I think my dad took to the bed for a week or something and then he eventually just got up and said I went to look at the cattle uh, and I think uh, one of the I looked at two of the bulls I think they're queers so we're going to be alright here and he just like correct kind of a yeah. off colour joke and I laughed and he laughed and that was it it was done done so and yeah that was kind of it you know I mean it was kind of difficult because you know you, you, you just expect everyone no they should all be tolerant and they should all know by now but some like people grew up in very different different times or they have they have ignorant attitudes they don't even know they have and often yeah. you just have to help them and you know what,
0: I actually, it annoys me a lot that more people don't think that way and, and leave more room for that. You know, like, it's just like, it's all or nothing these days in terms of like, you either are cancelled or you, you're not. Like there's no in between and I, and, I, and there's no room for like, say like my parents' generation, like the certain things that I chat to them about and rather than me like, oh my God, you can't say that about this, that and the other, like you have to consider the era they were brought up in what was acceptable when they were being brought up like i'm sure when i'm 50 60 there'll be things that i'll still be learning about and things i can't say that i you know might just blurt out because of you know the the time i grew up in and it just it annoys me that that is you know it, you know even like i suppose with it with it, say for example for the gay marriage referendum i'm sure a lot of my parents friends like my parents like luckily they were grand they were just like yes but there's a lot of, of parents who kind of, you have to talk to them and go, you no, know, like you have to think about this, but you can't blame them.
1: Yes, no, exactly. And that was what that campaign was all about. They, Yeah. They, they, it was so clever because it wasn't about, here are you are, you accept this bloody thing now or you're all bigots, all right? Accept it or not. And So it was all done very quietly and calmly and it was like hand-holding look at your life is not going to be affected by this. We're not going to crash down the world. We want what you have. It's just the equal rights. And rather than use the kind of usual suspects they expected to hear from, it was, they were just hearing from Daniel O'Donnell and, you know, Brendan O'Carroll and GAA players and the, the former Irish Country Women's Association president who's going, I know a few people like this. We just need to spread a bit of love. It's all about love. And Mary McAleese, who was quite powerful and lovely yes. in the final week because she was the ultimate kind of uh, you know, uh, confident Catholic. You know that she's able to say, "I like this bit. I'm a Catholic, but I don't like some of the stuff they do here." And uh, yeah, that's how it was done. And uh, it's interesting you say you know, some people are just allowed one chance now. If you do that one bad thing, or you say that, not even that one bad thing, something you did 10 years ago, then that's yes. it, just out now. And we don't apply that to our own lives. Because if we did, we wouldn't have any friends <laughs> left. And we wouldn't talk to any members of our family. Ha ha, you said that thing. You see, I have a text message. That thing you sent me in 2015. Therefore, I am now deleting you from my phone. I will never speak to you again. And I'm informing your employers. And yeah. you are dead to the world. It's like, what? and uh, yeah no it's, it's because what we do what we practice in normal life is a thing a little known thing called redemption where you do the bad thing and then you try to make amends for it because yeah. because we are all just a little bit stupid sometimes and a little bit ignorant <laughs> half the time as big as 75% of the time
0: speaking of marriage you were due to tie the knot
1: <laughs> yes we were and um it was due to happen on Halloween because we've been to loads of Summer weddings in the run up to that and we said you know what actually we should just do a, an October so that way we won't worry about the weather because if it's really bad we go it's, it's, it's October it's nearly November who cares if it's sunny you're going oh wow what a surprise and it's also that lovely it's the first weekend after the time changes so it's like you know dark at half five uh, half four and we wanted like kind of a castle with fires lit everywhere and leaves blowing up against the window and the kind of snugly hot toddy type uh, wedding. So that was due to happen. Excuse me. Halloween, which fell on a Saturday last year in 2020. But unfortunately, somebody had bats for breakfast and nobody, nothing nice. Everything nice is just cancelled. And that was it.
0: <laughs> oh my God. So...
1: Close to the time that it was uh, also the night of a full moon and it was the second full moon in the same month, which means it's a blue moon. So it was like a super blue full moon Saturday Halloween. But you know, someone so, needed that bat shake.
0: So were you, <laughs> bat shake, protein bat smoothie. Um, so you just had to sit indoors, watch that gorgeous blue moon and be like, why? Why not us?
1: Everyone kept saying, what are you going to do on that night? Will you, will you go somewhere? And because things were open for a little bit in October, remember, and then they slammed it all shut again a week before. But luckily we had nothing planned We just said. We're not celebrating, there's no wedding, so we're not celebrating the non-wedding. And uh, we put it off a year and we actually put it off another year. So it's not going to happen until Halloween 22.
0: Okay, you'll be sorted by then. You'll have a hoolie. Okay, Oliver Callan, the person you always laugh with. <laughs> uh,
1: that is probably my aforementioned sister Aoife, because even though we laughed all the time as kids, but when we had to go to my granny's house down in Cork, we laughed for a week and we got into terrible trouble. But when we get together, it is, it is like, you know, it's really good for the core, the type of hysterical, painful, I'm going to die. I'm actually going to die laughing unless we get out. So, you know, we, and you try to move, but you're <laughs> laughing. So you kind of roll off things, furniture, so you end up on the floor and there's tears. And it's usually we're, we're talking about my mum, who is the, the, the you know, the, she is the genius of the, the malapropism, uh, you know, like the, the aforementioned Bertieisms. Uh, like her all-time classic. She would always mishear things. We were, like kids, she, we, be kinda, we were kind of like, what's this match? I think it's like the European Championships. And she'd go, what? I'm not making chips. I'm not doing it today. <laughs> and uh, her most infamous one is, my sister obviously was quite cool, trendy, which was trendy like 10 years ago, whatever. Uh, remember Hollister, the brand, which is kind of still around, but it was very trendy then. And she goes, where's that jumper? That nice jumper you have now. The Holocaust jumper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, she, I mean, she still calls the host of the Late Late Show, she calls him Ryan Turbity. <laughs> he's, he's been on TV for 20 years. I mean, you got this right. Like, Grey Mormon, she has said once, like she will call Chianti Shandy. And once she does it wrong, 1st that's it for life then. Yeah. Oh yeah, that nice bottle of Shandy you gave us. Lovely.
0: Okay, Oliver, a time where you had the last laugh.
1: Oh, well, it's kind of related to the dark. Like, it is true and corny that happiness is the best form of revenge. So I don't think I've ever had a kind of a ha-ha, I really showed you there. Uh, but I think just getting out of, of the mire of a toxicity people, toxic people. Um, that is kind of, you, you had the last laugh. You just kind of... I used to be really stressed about career and going, I need to do that thing. And if I don't get to that thing, then I'm, I'm a failure. And then, of course, you don't get it because you're really seeking it and you want to get that thing. So the, the kind of day where I just kind of relaxed and didn't bother chasing stuff anymore, just did the work, showed up, did the work, stuff just sort of started happening by accident over the years. That's kind of, that's quite true. Uh, particularly when you're suddenly free and you don't, oh, no, no longer care to the point of obsession about it, you know what I mean? Like, it's lovely when you get the, the contract for the show that you're doing or the tour and something just falls in or someone rings you to do a job you didn't expect. And it's, it's lovely when it happens. So, you know, that's kind of the, the, nice, the nice way about it. I mean, it's, it's like someone said to me a while ago, which has always stuck with me, and I've heard it in different versions before, that all you need in life is someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And you can oh. kind of break it down. Because someone go, well, I've been single for 15 years ago. But the someone you love can be just yourself. Yeah. You, need to know, you need to like actually like yourself, first of all, and then love the fact that we're alive. I mean, like, it's impossible that we're alive. Especially if you believe the same things as the DUP because the earth was only around um, 30 years ago. It's only made <laughs> God, I managed to turn a nice thought into something political. What is wrong with me?
0: <laughs> it happens. Oh my God, the whole podcast. <laughs> But no, do you know what, that's actually, it explains why the pandemic has been so hard for you. Because yes, you might have someone to love or you mightn't if you're single, but something to do and something to look forward to, we haven't had.
1: No, but that was, the, that was a horrible thing that the government's, uh, the government never seemed to understand. It was like, stop telling us to do more of what we're already doing. You know, yeah. short of crawling inside my own body, there are not fewer people I can't <laughs> not see. And we just got to give it a little bit of hope. And it wasn't like, you know, you didn't expect me to hold back to the committee, no. Picture yourself having a pina colada down there in in Rome or somewhere out in, out foreign um, by Arab or by Barcelona, whatever it is. Picture yourself, you know, in a club in Berlin, you know, you've just ripped your top off. Ten hotties are swooning around you. You're being oiled up by five, five, six pack men. That's the future we look forward to, people. Actually, now I think about if they had done that. Maybe people went, yeah, okay, I'll go with six months of that. I'm going to go to Berlin and I'm going to go to the mosh pit.
0: Okay. Oliver Callan, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be?
1: Um, a bath. Oh. a bath full of champagne. Here's <laughs> <laughs> this thing, you know, Peter O'Toole, who was, was he in anything that, uh, that anyone, uh, that your demographic will remember? <laughs> Just so, old, man. There was a period, kids, years ago, when the world revered craggy, old, alcoholic-looking men who told basically dirty stories on chat shows. They went on and on for twenty minutes. All you know these kind of legends I remember as a kid going, "Ah, oh, that, that guy, he was brilliant." And you watch them on YouTube and going, "Gee, what the hell is going on here?" He's like, he's dribbling, like he's you know, <laughs> there's like a this an old unnamed icon. No, there's a, there's a whaff of Me Too all over this interview with everyone involved. And then the audience cuts to just old men in suits. Ha <laughs> Jesus Christ, I always have my character. Jesus, 15 wives. Oh, what a character. <laughs> and uh, only five of them are dead, in fairness to him. And, um, and only two under suspicious circumstances. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> Peter O'Toole used to have champagne baths. So he's an Oscar winner. He started in all these big epics, Lawrence of Arabia, all these big old five-hour movies. But he lived apparently in the Gresham Hotel for like a year or something, just checked in because they were used to living in hotels because it would take a year to make a film. Yeah. They would just be drinking Richard Harris and all these kind of uh, Oliver Reed and all these these drunks who were celebrated. And um, he apparently would, would order a champagne bath and they would literally fill a... A bath of champagne. I've always stop what? it. What's it like? Now, you'd have to give yourself a, a good shower first, wouldn't you?
0: Like, <laughs> and
1: after. You it? Uh, definitely after. Oh, my God. So like I'm not gonna drink it now, am I? <laughs> <laughs> While in here. <laughs> Maybe you need a, a, a kind of divided bath. Is it put like where you can kind of just dunk the the flute in one side? What you know? what flute? <laughs> God. That was the punchline to the 1985 Dick Cavett for the late late or something. Uh, yeah, and the, the ones were gay born where you knew he disapproved of the of the racy punchline because he would go <laughs> his genuine laugh was <laughs> but his disapproving one was <laughs> well done, well done, line two, and so on.
0: I must so watch so. some clips. I need to know now which I want to see him doing the the, the cha- best
1: method. champagne, uh, beautiful platters of Italian things, mortadella, buffalo burrata. Uh, you know, nice, nice things. Capocool, beautiful you know. Italian thing, preferably in Italy. You know, but some days we'll soon. get
0: there. We'll get there, Oliver. <laughs> some days, <laughs> <soon>, please. <laughs> Are you ready for your quick fire round? Which is never actually quick.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll slow it down even more and that way at least I'll have told myself I've meddled with the format.
0: <laughs> okay, the actor you always laugh at.
1: Oh yeah, oh my god, so many of these. I'm uh, I'm watching the, I'm re-watching the Sopranos which is the greatest TV show of all time and uh, it's actually really, it's very interesting actually because it stands the test of time. You know, when I watch stuff that was kind of cool back in my day you go oh god that was very very demeaning to women racist you know just homophobic awful but the Sopranos because it wrote really strong women it's you know Tony Soprano he goes to a psychologist he basically brought emerged Goodfellas would analyze this where okay. Robert De Niro goes to see Billy Crystal loses and I, I don't have you watched Sopranos no never watched Sopranos never you, like Goodfellas Godfather, Mafia does that
0: uh, no, see, I'm, I'm from an all-girl family. We we were never into those kind of things.
1: Oh, that wouldn't be permitted. No, definitely. <laughs> no. <laughs> Strangely, my mum never watched any movies, but I always remember her loving The Godfather and Goodfellas and stuff like that. And we watched we watched them as kids, like you know, really. Yeah, you know, yeah. But I think it's just the kind of Italian. There it was always a strong uh, matriarch somewhere. So you go there, you go now. Yeah, I know. He had to be whacked. He had to be whacked in fairness. <laughs> he had to be. <laughs> said the mean thing. He needs to be whacked.
0: Okay, the actress, you always love it.
1: The actress, uh, I couldn't go beyond Joanna Lumley from Ab Fab for this because she just had all those great killer lines, didn't she? And just delivered with such sexy aplomb. (laughs) uh, Oh, God, is this a bit off colour now? But the uh, the one where she says, She's so cold, I bet she has her period in cubes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely amazing. That is.
1: Amazing. Going on holidays and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Patsy, Patsy, you have to be, you just wear mosquito, mosquito, mosquito spray. It's going kind of, the last mosquito that bit me to check into the Betty Ford Clinic. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: movie, you always have it.
1: Uh, this is kind of a cult classic, which not many people will know, but it's got With Nail and I, and, I get, and people should watch it. Richard E. Grant uh, is in it and he has all these amazing lines. Richard E. Grant is a complete teetotaler and never drank in his life. And the director said, but you're going to have to try alcohol to do this role because you're playing a degenerate alcoholic washed up actor living in a flat, a grotty flat in London. Uh, So he, he goes on the tear famously and almost dies... Uh, but then he goes and, and he you now he plays this, he's just kind of uh, drunk the whole way through. And it's just great. There's some great lines. Uh, the actor, there's a character called Uncle Monty, who's this creepy kind of aristocratic uncle, they say, with him in the country. He's he's the same actor who plays, um, uh, what's the Dursley father in the Harry Potter series? Vernon. Vernon, oh, Vernon yes, Dursley?
0: Yeah, is it Vernon? Is, Vernon, is that the child? Vernon
1: Dursley, the father? No, Vernon is the dad, I think. Vernon is the dad. So it's the same actor. And he's kind of, you know, uh, he's these great lines like, um, uh, flowers are mere prostitutes for the bees no 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 i prefer vegetables there's nothing quite like a firm young carrot <laughs> and then the ranch just just it's just very camp melodramatic character who just roars things like we've gone on holidays by mistake or i have some distressing news it appears we've run out of wine <laughs> so it's it's basically Ab Fab, but Richard E. Grant plays uh, Joanna Lumley's character.
0: Okay, comedian. The comedian you always love at.
1: The comedian I've already mentioned. Ricky Gervais and Tommy. Tommy Jared and Massey Ferguson Biscuits. And uh, uh, Larry David kind of um, is the cranky old man I really enjoy quite a lot. Amy Schumer who has all the amazing dirty jokes. Amy Schumer anyway does this last thing where it's, it's her last, you'll believe it anyway. It's her last fuckable day. And she's kind of like, what, what do you mean? It's much like, you're a woman in Hollywood. The, this day always comes. And she's, she, it's a whole sketch, Amy Schumer show. And it was like, no, and the, all the women are around the table. And it's going, well John, Julie, it's your last fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, what about men? And they go, it's ridiculous. Men don't have that day. So remember Sean Connery, and Catherine Zeta-Jones, in Entrapment? <laughs> <laughs> that was creepy then, looking back on it now. But of course he's dead now, so we can't. No, we can't
0: mustn't, speak. we mustn't joke. We mustn't. And finally, Oliver,
1: your Jones you could love me ash. I mean that was basic the film, you
0: know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry.
0: Your best or worst your best or worst joke.
1: Oh oh god. Best oh oh right. I forgot to prepare for this. One. Ah Oliver. What? I mean the simple jokes are always the best. I mean the dad jokes, do you Go know, on. where my my uh, like uh, my obese Oh, what is that? I have to form it in my head. My obese parrot died yesterday. It's a real weight off my shoulder. <laughs> Snowman. What are the two snowmen? Uh, or, or two cannibals eating a clown. One says to the other, does this taste funny to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are yeah, you there? I got you. are even face-spamming. <laughs> face-spamming hard with on that
0: one. <laughs> Oliver, you have officially yeah. messed up the format. because oh, that- You've officially messed up the format because you gave three jokes. It's supposed to be just one. So well done. You succeeded in what you set out to do.
1: Initially, I thought that, that format, which um, which I think you should actually go with, is, you know, when you say the worst joke, as in like a joke that no one should tell, that should be banned, that would be that would more exciting. And then you just like fill it with caveats going, by the way, we apologise in advance. For you. <laughs> if you're going to be funny, look away now, but this joke may contain, you know, a hate crime. <laughs> crime that's your favorite hate crime joke I mean, let's let's face it when you're among your trusted friends where you know the joke is literally you're not you're not in favor of the bad thing you're joking about yeah like hey yeah. you know but you'll tell the joke among friends and you will die laughing because and you're looking around going oh my god i hope no one overheard that
0: yeah
1: and like, you're like, like, going, put your phones away in case mark zuckerberg has switched on your microphone and is listening and you'll be presented with it when you're 68. I don't know why I picked that age, You're strange. You're 68, you reach <laughs> all your hate crimes catch up with you.
0: Oliver Callan, it's been an absolute pleasure and you did stray from the format a few times. So well done, you I succeeded.
1: Our format again, but with Leo Varadkar. Yes, the first time I experienced laughter was when I saw poor people. <laughs> oh God, it was hilarious. I also loved Margaret Thatcher. She was my favorite comedian the way she really stuck it to the poor. It really made me quite sexually confused because it was such a turn on how horrible she was to you know, the, working, the working classes.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> That's gonna come back to haunt oh, you when you're yeah, 68.
1: We didn't do a Mary Lou off. We should, we should have done a Mary Lou off. We should. You could get Mary Lou, but she wouldn't do it if I was here. You know, she's, just, what she's not, <laughs> not a fan of my version of her, let's face it. I don't know why
0: my version she seems to like because I just talk about her blazers and she
1: she started liking it would she slightly affect it because now you've got in your head that oh like she's going to hear and she (laughs) will she let you know if she doesn't like it do you know what I mean she just hasn't let me know at all don't like the way he does it just don't like it He's a snide little shit (laughs) she reacts to everything
0: Oliver Callan. Thank you so much for sharing the last of your life.
1: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to the last of your life podcast with Oliver Callan. His brand new TV series Callan Kicks the Year starts tonight, October twentieth, on RT One at nine thirty-five PM, and you can also catch it on the RT Player. That was my final episode this season. There may be a bonus episode next Wednesday. I don't actually know yet. There's a guest in town that I'm hoping to nab. If I do, brilliant. If I don't, it's fine. We already had a bonus episode this season. But if I do nab them, you'll be the first to know. Make sure you follow me on Instagram, at Theron Garry and at Theron Garry. on Twitter also. Drop me an L review at the end of season if you haven't done it yet. Come on, it's the perfect time to do it. Little review, like, subscribe and you'll be ready to go For next season. A massive thank you to TK Maxx who have sponsored this season and been so loyal and brilliant. The season is, of course, brought to you by them. You can get that winning feeling in store when you nab ridiculously good quality Christmas gifts for less at TK Maxx. Make sure you do that. Guest booker this season has been Olive Esler, and this podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios. I love you all, my loyal listeners. I'll be back soon.